turn over to 284. 284. Now I got to take a poll here. How many of y'all glad for the beautiful weather? Okay, now here's the poll. How many of y'all have noticed that the flies aren't dead, which means the gnats aren't dead, which means the ticks aren't dead? <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm thinking about the, well, you got the animals, so you're probably thinking about that. So yeah, I'd, I was thinking about this beautiful weather, but I was tired of having flies in my garage. So anyhow, <laughs> 284, we'll, we'll stand on the fourth verse. Yeah. 
Amen. Praise the Lord. Brother Richard, if you would, open us in prayer tonight. Amen. Please do be seated. Amen. Well, I tell you, I like when the Lord uh, takes and uh, just coordinates things because uh, I kind of want to preach about kings tonight. So we had that last song there about kings. And so I want you to turn to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. And... uh, Hopefully, we'll be able to make some application to us. We're not kings in here. I mean, we are kings and priests, but that's not really the application tonight. Um, uh, but you'll see as we go. Uh, Daniel chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And the Bible says, In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep break from him. And then the king commanded to call the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and all the Chaldeans for to show the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king, and the king said unto them, I have dreamed a dream, and my spirit was troubled to know the dream. Then spake the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac, O king, live forever, tell thy servants the dream, and we will show thee the interpretation. And the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The thing is gone from me. If you will not make known unto the, me the dream with the interpretation thereof, uh, ye shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made uh, a dunghill. Uh, but if you show the dream and the interpretation thereof, you shall receive of me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and the interpretation thereof. And they answered again and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation of it. You, you see a standoff here? Tell us what the dream was, we'll tell you, okay? I don't know if y'all are familiar with this. You guys ever heard of the Oracle of Delphi? That, they, they used to have oracles. An oracle would be kind of like, uh, you know, it's not certainly scripture or Christian, but it was a way for pagan people to go and say, what is your will and this or that? And they would come up with some mysterious thing. Uh, the best example of that was the king of Medes, or King Menes was his name. Uh, we know him, know him as King Midas. King Midas was a great king, and the, his kingdom had a lot of gold and obvious things like that. And he wanted to go to war with his neighbor, so he went to the oracle at Delphi, and he said, uh, uh, should I go to war? And he says, if you go to war, a great kingdom will be destroyed. And so he's like, yes, I'm going to win. No, the opposite happened, of course. He went and lost. But the whole point is this, is they would pay money. They would hope to hear what they wanted to hear. Okay, and they were kind of used to being lied to. They were kind of used to being cryptic and mystic. How many of y'all glad that when we read the Word of God, by and large, it can be understood? We talked Sunday night about uh, uh, exercising our mind with Proverbs so that we might have the subtlety to understand the devil and his tricks and also to understand some of the finer points of the Word of God. And so it is important to exercise our mind. And there are sometimes that there are things in the Bible hard to be understood, but they're certainly not deceptive. You see what they're doing. They say, tell us a dream and we'll give you an answer. And he says, you give me an answer 
or I know you don't have the power to interpret dreams, okay? And there's a standoff between, it's a power play is what's going on. There's some very powerful people playing power politics here, okay? And you'll see this more as we, we take and break this out. Go to the Bible, says, it says, uh, verse 8, says, The king answered and said, I know of a certainty that you would gain the time. You're just looking for time. You're, you're just looking for something to happen. We'll talk about that here in a moment, too. Because you see the thing is gone from me. He says, I can't tell you the dream. You're the astrologers. You're the magicians. You're the Chaldeans. You're supposed to be able to speak these things and have this insight. Tell me, either that or you're a fraud, okay, if you will. In verse 9, the Bible says, But if you will not make known unto me the dream... There is but one decree for you, for ye have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak before me, till the time be changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me the interpretation thereof. Now, you know the next part of this, and so I won't go into it. But the next part is this, is he says, uh, they said, we can't do it. And he says, well, then kill them. Kill them all. And he was serious about it until Daniel heard about it. And Daniel comes to him and he says, King, if you'll just give me some time, I'll bring you an answer. Okay, I'll bring you an answer, and so we know that he, he did gain the time. But let's ask the Lord to bless here. Father, we do love you. We thank you for the privilege to sing your praises here tonight. We thank you for the fellowship that we're enjoying, the health that we enjoy to have it. And Father, be with those who are apart from us tonight. Lord, so many sick. We just pray, Lord, you put your healing hand upon them and their families. Father, just make it so that we can all assemble again, even this Sunday. And Father, we love you now, and we thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but uh, Shakespeare said, uneasy lies the head that wears a crown, okay? I got to imagine that it's tough for kings to sleep sometimes. Now, there's a number of reasons, and we're going to take a look at it. And, and I, d I don't want to really talk about us as kings and priests here today, but I do want to talk about us today as people who like to be in control of our lives. You know, the wonderful thing about being a king is you're the king, <laughs> all right? But with all that power also comes great responsibility, and it also comes um, uh, a lot more enemies, if you will, okay, if you will. And so when, when Shakespeare said that, he's talking about, listen, sometimes it's hard for us to sleep when you're a king. You've got a lot on your mind, a lot of concerns. And what is the biggest concern for a king? Well, my premise is this, is the biggest concern is to keep being king. <laughs> All right, because really they, they just want to keep being king, and that's what's going on here. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar is very concerned about maintaining the throne and keeping the throne because he's had a very disturbing dream. You guys remember what the dream was? You remember it was a great statue, and there's a head of gold and a chest of silver and a waist of brass and legs of iron and, iron and feet of iron and clay. And then a great rock or a great stone came and hit the statue in the feet of clay and the whole... Uh, statue collapsed, and then the rock became, if you will, a great kingdom, all right? And so it's very clear, that we look at it, we say it's clearly talking about kings and kingdoms, okay? And so we'll, we'll, we'll save that here for just a second here. But, uh, you know, this time of year, part of the reason I thought about this was, are kings involved in this time of year? Jesus Christ came to be born a king, Amen. And uh, if you will, Herod, was he concerned about it? Yeah. And, and so that's us trying to think about this. And so if, if you will, I entitled this message tonight, Nervous Kings. All right? Nervous Kings. All right? Nervous Kings need to remember a couple things. And the first thing is this, is look at verse 31. Verse 31, the nervous kings need to realize this, that God has a plan. All right? 
Now, an atheist might not want to acknowledge God, and, and, and I really can't help them. If they, if they have foolishly chosen to say there is no God, then they also are saying, well, then I have no king, meaning I can rule myself. I can, I, I can be in charge of myself. Having said that, ultimately, how many kings can there be? I mean, think of it. Yeah. Ultimately, there can only be one king. Everybody else is a prince. <laughs> Y'all understand that? And so there, ultimately, there can only be one king, all right? And, and, and the thing about it is, is this, is, is anybody who's trying to hold on being in charge and being a king is just refusing to acknowledge that there's somebody above them, okay? And, and this, if we acknowledge that God is a king, well, God has a plan. And he lists it right here. He tells you, he says, here's what's going on, Daniel. Uh, I told you this so that you would know what's going to unfold in the future. And he did. Uh, verse 31 of chapter 2, the Bible says, Thou, O king, sawest and behold a great image, this great image whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. Uh, the word we would use today would probably be awesome. It'd be, wow. Think, I mean, think of this bright, shiny statue. By the way, a head all of gold. You can imagine, it's a pretty impressive statue here. And the Bible says, uh, It stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. His, the image his head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part iron and part clay. Thou sawest till a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet, which were of iron of clay, and brake them to pieces. Uh, then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floor. By the way, what's, what's chaff? Think about that for a second. Chaff is, uh, uh, you guys ever seen wheat? There's a kernel. That's what we eat. That's what we grind up, turn it into flour. But it's inside, you know, a, a sleeve, a sheaf. And uh, you, when the seed is removed from that, then that is the chaff. If you've ever seen it in Eastern cultures, the way they do it, they'll wait for a windy day. And what they do is they'll get a blanket. Some, some of you all may have even done it. Okay, but you'll get a blanket and the, you'll have the cross breeze and you'll take it and you'll sift it like that and get it to break apart. And then you'll toss it up in the air and the wind will blow the chaff away. Okay, and you keep throwing it up. Anybody ever seen the, what's it called? The, you're the, more the expert than I. What's the thing that turns and blows the fan and... Come on, somebody help me bail me out. You remember what it's called? Is it a winning machine in blueberries? Okay, I've only seen it once at the uh, at the tractor show. It was a big machine. there. You go thrashing machine. Thank you. And it has all those things that I just described inside the machinery, and it, and it just does it really fast and and uh, does it a really good job. So anyhow, think about this. That whole big, shiny, impressive, awesome statue comes down and basically breaks up into powder and blows away. And then all you have is that stone kingdom. Folks, who is the stone kingdom? It's Jesus Christ, amen. And so when all these kings are not kings anymore, there's only going to be one king. And that's kind of the message of the story. Think about this. God has a plan. And the wonderful thing about our God is he takes and he reveals these plans. Now, the most familiar plan to all of us is probably the plan of redemption, okay? What is the plan of redemption? Sometimes we talk about the plan of salvation, but the plan of redemption. You know, uh, if we were to take and have a soul-winning plan, we would take and, you guys familiar with the Romans Road? Okay, and so, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, right? There's none righteous, no, not one, right? The wages of sin is death, okay? 
but God commended his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Okay? The Bible says if we will confess our sins, okay? Right? And so you guys know the Romans Road. That's a plan of salvation. Well, think about that. We kind of made that one up. Matter of fact, there's many ways to take and to tell somebody they need to be saved. But can I tell you this? When it comes to Christmas season and when it comes to the things of Jesus, everything is an unfolding or a revealing of God's plan of revelation. Okay? What did we know about salvation at the very beginning. We knew nothing. And so in, in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, he said, listen, there's going to be a contest between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Uh, the seed of the uh, serpent's going to get his shots in, but ultimately the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. What's that mean? <clears throat> Victory ahead. Amen. Then he took, and not only did he say that the, the part of the plan was the seed of the woman, then he talked about the son. The son of, well, who is Jesus the son of? Well, think about this with me and go through the list with me. By the way, I had a preacher friend of mine today ask, who was the first prophet in the Bible? And a lot of very knowledgeable people got the answer wrong. Anybody know the first prophet in the Bible? I'm just asking this for a reason here. Some people said Moses, and some people said, uh, I guessed Enoch. I was wrong. Okay, so that means it's before Enoch. I actually knew the answer, but I was too afraid to write the answer down. Adam and Eve is not the right answer, but that's a good guess. It's a good guess. And then somebody cheated and said, well, Jesus is before the foundation of the world, and he's a prophet. And, <laughs> and then the comment from the preacher was, boy, you hate losing, don't you? <laughs> the answer is Abel. Abel in Luke chapter 11, I believe, says that Abel was the very first prophet. Okay, And you can look that up if you want to. My whole point is this is that they've been telling that story of redemption from Adam and Eve, and Abel was the first prophet. You understand that? What was the story they were telling? They were telling the plan of, here, there's going to be a seed. Then there's also going to be a son. And the Bible says that he's going to be the son of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, one more, Judah, and one more. He's going to be the son of David. Okay, And so if you will, that whole, uh, as you read your Old Testament, you see that unfolding how that the promise was given to Abraham and then to Isaac and then to Jacob and then Jacob gave it to Judah and then Judah eventually was, re uh, David was revealed to be the son of Judah and of course Jesus Christ is the son of David. Okay, And so the, 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 the unfolding of the plan of redemption, the seed of the woman, the son of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, and David, and then the suffering lamb. Folks, think about this. Salvation could not come. Jesus could not come directly to the earth and just rule over the earth. Why? Folks, sin's price had to be paid. The wages of sin is, and our death will not suffice. Why? Because we're an unacceptable sacrifice. We have defects. We have flaws. We have sin. It took a perfect sacrifice to provide for our salvation. Amen. And if you're not familiar where this is, that's in Isaiah chapter 53. I, I think it'd be a good idea for people on a regular basis to go to Isaiah 53 and review what took place on the cross between the Father and the Son and the price that was paid, the sacrifice. The Bible saw he saw the travail of his soul and was satisfied. Amen. And so, if you will, a tremendous price was part of that plan of redemption. 
And so I'm going to keep reviewing just to reinforce it. But the plan of redemption started out with just the seed of the woman. And then he was the son of. And then he was the promised, if you will, the suffering lamb. And then he was the risen Savior. How many of y'all are glad that we serve a risen Savior? Amen. Because you can have a plan around redemption, but unless it leads to life, it's just worthless. How many of y'all have ever seen the thing that talks about like Muhammad and then Buddha and then it names all these famous religious leaders and they say this, we can take you to every one of their graves. But you can't go to Jesus' grave. Why? He's not there. He's not there. We serve a risen Savior. That is the good news. That is the power of God and the salvation, if you will, that we have a risen Savior. So that's part of the plan of redemption. It's also, how about this? The, 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 the plan of redemption or the, or, yeah, the plan of redemption is the receptive heart. How is a person saved? Faith, okay, a- amen. But think about this. Think, here's what I'm trying to, to, to get you to think about. Uh, it is faith, and praise the Lord for that. But you guys are familiar with this, but go by way of remembrance. Let's go to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, the receptive heart. Does God force anybody to be saved? Can anybody be saved without God drawing them, though? No, and that's all part of that story, if you will. I think it's important for us to, again, realize that God has a plan. He's working his plan. And by the way, he told us his plan. And so whenever we see it being fulfilled, we can just say, hey, he's still working his plan. Amen. Uh, uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 9, you guys are familiar with this, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that, say it with me, that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, say it with me, shall be saved. Aren't you glad for that? A receptive, willing heart. Whosoever. He takes and he says, just because... All the promises were made to Jews, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, and David, okay? Doesn't mean he left everybody out. Because unto all the Jews and to all the heathen Gentiles, okay? Those are the two groups, all right? You're either a Jew or you're a Gentile, all right? And he says, unto all them this was provided, all right? What do you have to have? You have to have a willing heart, okay? Confession is saying, hey, I need a Savior, that's what confession is. I need a Savior. And then you have to confess Jesus Christ is that Savior. And then you have a reassured heart. We're already in Romans. Just skip back real quick to Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 31. And I would read it. I would read it all the way to the end. But anybody here ever needed reassurance about your salvation? Aren't you glad God didn't finish the story, but he kept telling it? Not only did I provide for salvation, not only can you have it if you'll receive it, okay? But once you've received it, it cannot, I'm going to say that again, cannot be taken away from you. Praise God. It even starts with that first verse there, and you you guys know the rest of it, so I'm not going to go too far. But the Bible says this, if, um, well, I said, verse 31, what shall we say then to these things? Say it with me. If God be for us, who can be against us? 
And so when the accuser, the devil, comes up and says, you're not even a good Christian, you're not worth salvation, you can take and say, yep, you're right. <laughs> but let me just tell you this, I've got a friend. I've got a Savior. Amen. And the whole plan of redemption, if you will, God has a plan. For sake of time, I won't go any further, but he's coming again. Amen. He's going to rule and reign on the earth. Someday he's going to sweep away all this creation. He's going to make it new again. Amen. And we're going to live in the state that he intended, a sinless state between God and man and those that love, each, uh, love the Lord. And, of course, he loves us first. And so, if you will, we see God has a plan for redemption. But he also, think about this. Folks, how many kings can there be? One. He also has a plan for being back on the throne. Now, some of you would say, well, he is already on the throne. Well, he's already on the throne in heaven. And I, I say this all the time. He's already on the throne of your heart if you've trusted Christ as your Savior. Amen. Now, sometimes we keep pulling him off. Okay. All right. We'll talk about that here in a second. But, folks, he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so when he's in heaven, he's the king. And when he's in a human heart, a believer's heart, he's the king. But folks, when he came to the earth, he was a suffering servant. Okay? And the Bible has a, a name for this, if you will, in the book of Luke. I want you to go there. Luke chapter 21, look at verse 24. Luke 21 in verse 24, and think about this. Again, who's supposed to be sitting on the throne in Jerusalem? Is he supposed to be David or one of his sons? Agreed? Now, we all know this. Jesus Christ is the son of David. We just talked about that. All right? But notice what he calls this time that just got described with this statue. Nebuchadnezzar, Gentile. Cyrus, Gentile. Alexander the Great, Gentile. Okay, later, uh, what am I trying to say? Did I miss one? I missed one here. No, I didn't. Caesar, okay, Caesar, Gentiles, all right? And who's, in, who's, in, who's on the throne in Israel today? Trick question, isn't it? Pardon me? Netanyahu. Does anybody know what tribe Netanyahu's from? I don't know what tribe he's from, to be honest with you. Um... Uh, let me ask you this, though. Can anybody take him off of that throne at any time? You guys know what form of government Israel has? They have a parliamentary form of government. All it takes is for somebody to vote and say, we need to have new elections, and they could elect him out of office just like that. Okay? I don't, I'm, I'm not even sure that there's a minimum term. Okay? Now, the maximum term, I think, is seven years, but the minimum term is, is, could be any time somebody calls for an election. And, by the way, they still have to answer to the U.N. U.N. doesn't have any real authority, yet they boss people around. So, my question is, is anybody really sitting on the throne of Israel today? And the answer is clearly not. Why? Because we're still in this time, okay? Jesus hasn't returned to the earth. He hasn't set up his kingdom. And so, if you will, look in Luke chapter 21, verse 24, I think it was. And the Bible says this, And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem shall be, say it with me, trodden down of the Gentiles, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And so God says, here's the plan. 
You're going to have Babylon, you're going to have Persia, you're going to have Greece, you're going to have Rome probably, okay, and, and other things. That's a whole other message for another day. But if you will, Jesus Christ is going to come, he's going to hit that image in the feet, and all of those kingdoms are going to turn to what? Chaff. And it's going to blow away. And then all you're going to see is Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords. Amen. You know what he said? Here's my plan. Here's what I'm doing. Well, why is he still waiting? He's got a plan. <laughs> How many of y'all wish you could just have God give you the plan? <laughs> right? <laughs> and it's just not like that. Why? Well, we're supposed to walk by faith, not by sight. And in a sense, it started in the Garden of Eden when he said, Adam and Eve, trust me. Right? <laughs> And can I just say this? That's the same thing God's doing. He said, I'm working my plan. Trust me. Okay? Well, I don't understand. That's not, it's not for you to understand. I'm working my plan. Okay? Uh, the problem is, as a king, you're going to tell me the plan. And God said, no, I'm not. I, I did tell you the plan. I just didn't tell you every detail of the plan. Amen? And so, if you will, God has a plan. God's son is coming to rule. God also has a purpose in doing things the way that he does. How many of y'all understand that? God has a purpose for doing the things the way he does. How many of y'all think you could come up with a better way? I better ask this a better way here. How many of you ever have wished <laughs> that God had a different way? Because it's too hard? You've been suffering too long? You guys know what I'm talking about now? How many of y'all think Daniel and his friends wanted to go into captivity? No. Interesting. What were they supposed to be, by the way? Has anybody, anybody ever thought about who Daniel and his friends ultimately were taken from Israel to Babylon for? What were they supposed to do? Anybody know? Just think about it. kind of advisors to him saying by the way interpreters and people like that absolutely were they ever supposed to be in charge of anything other than maybe Israelites the answer is clearly no what level did Daniel get to he got to number two in the kingdom guys remember one king said I'll make you number three and he says no I got a better job offer <laughs> all right and he became number two. Literally, the king says, here's my ring. Do whatever he says. Kind of like the same thing, Joseph. It was, it was a similar position. Folks, how do you go from being basically interpreters and liaisons to the Israelites to being in charge of the entire kingdom short of being the king? Pardon me? Only God. Only God. Only God. Let me show you a verse that we've probably read over a hundred times. Jumped out of the pages as I was preparing this. Go to verse 30, if you would, please. And that's Daniel chapter 2, verse 30, by the way. Daniel chapter 2. Oh, come on, Marcus. There we go. Daniel chapter 2 and verse 30. And notice what it says here. It says, uh, well, no. Yeah, there we go. I'm sorry. 
The Bible says, but as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living. Do you see that? He says, it's not because I'm smarter than everybody else. Y'all see that? I'm not a better wise man than them. And he doesn't even say at this point, I got a better God than you do. No, that does come out. Okay. But notice the very next words. It says, but for their sakes that shall make known the interpretation to the king. Y'all see that? What did he just say there? God did this to you to get us into a different position. Is that what it said? I'm not making this up. We're doing this for our sakes. God did it this way for our sakes. Okay? Now think about this. If God is in charge and, and, and if he has a plan, amen, then we need to realize that God has a purpose in doing the things the way he does. He could have never gotten Daniel to this position probably any other way. Amen? I was thinking about this. I was thinking, you know, Daniel could have not risen to that level. How, what level did he get to? Look at verse 46. In verse 46, the Bible says this. It says, Then the king Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and worshipped Daniel and commanded that they should offer an oblation and sweet odors unto him. Basically, he's saying worship him in a sense. The king answered uh, unto Daniel and said, Of a truth it is that your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal this secret. And so God got his praise and honor too, okay? But the Bible says, Then the king made Daniel a great man. Do you think he could have become a great man any other way? I think about this. You know, the Bible tells us that if, we, if we're faithful, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he'll bring us before great men. Y'all realize that? God will, by working in and through our lives, because he has a plan, he can take and he can get us in a position to do things and to talk to people we never thought we could talk to and to say things we thought we could never say. And it's all because God was working his plan. You say, God, why would you do it this way? How many of y'all think they wanted to go into captivity? No. But think about this. You're going to go into captivity, but I'm going to work things out that you're going to be the number two in charge person in the world. Now, how many of y'all think maybe just his jaw would drop right there? You're going to do what? <laughs> Amen. By the way, can, is that the same God we serve? Can God still do these things in our lives? Of course, the answer is yes. Okay, I, I, I'm running out of time, so I don't want to hit this too long. But I was thinking about this as, by way of illustration and think about some of the things that take place in different people's lives. And you wonder, why, why, why? Any of y'all know who John Mark is in the Bible? John Mark? Anybody, he's a favorite for you? I love John Mark. I'm so glad for John Mark. Why? Because John Mark was a major failure. Who ended his ministry with Paul saying, bring him to me, because he's profitable to me for the ministry. Amen? Well, where did that take place? I want to, I want to show you here. Go to uh, Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. And in the first four verses there, the Holy Spirit says, separate me, uh, Paul and Barnabas, for the work that I've called them to. They go to the work, okay? And they're out in the sea. By the way, do they have a map? No, they're just going. By the way, what's the Great Commission? 
Go you into all the world, right? But one of the connotations of that word go is as you go, okay? <laughs> Meaning that, remember how God has a plan? But we don't. We don't have time to know where we're going day by day. But we do know this, that if we're in the will of God, he's going to get us before great men and give us wonderful opportunities. And so as you go, preach the gospel to every creature. And so I, I don't know about you, but uh, here lately I've been doing all I can to write checklists. You guys checklist people? Is there anything better than checking the first one off? Right? And then you, there, there's, well, there's actually nothing better than checking the whole list. Isn't that great? Until you sit down at night and start a new one, right? <laughs> There's always another list, right? The whole point is this, is sometimes when it comes to serving God, there are no checkpoints. We don't know where he's going to get us. He does, we don't know who he wants us to talk to. He doesn't know who we're going to impact, and he doesn't know how we're going to be impacted. Okay? So here's what I want you to think when you think about this, and just for sake of time. Uh, what happened in this, uh, if you will, they, they're, they're going and they land on an island and immediately they, they essentially meet a sorcerer who's... Anybody ever seen a witch doctor? Have you? Um, so, uh, Native Americans sometimes will have them. They certainly have them uh, when you go to Africa and, and different, uh, different types of religions. And I will tell you, folks, if you've never seen one, uh, they're scary people. I mean, they, 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 a lot of times they're doing dances, and a lot of times they're doing, uh, doing drugs. Uh, they're doing chants, and, and they're, they're doing the spiritual forces. And listen, if we invited one in here, how many of y'all would just say, well, we're going to go home? <laughs> y'all with me? That's where they were. They showed up, and this guy immediately identifies that Paul is trying to witness to a man named Sergius Paulus, okay? And uh, he's trying to keep him from getting saved. And I will tell you this, there's a young man there named John Mark. I don't know how old John Mark was, but he was a young man, okay? And he's looking at this going, what did I sign up for? And folks, the next time they made a place where he could leave, he left. It messed him up, if you will. And it got him to the point where, if you will, he, 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 he quit. Amen? He panicked. As far as I'm concerned, he panicked. He said, oh, is this what it's like to live for the Lord? Oh, I quit. Amen? But fortunately, when Barnabas came home, you guys know the story. Barnabas came and said, I'm going to take you again. Will you come with me, son? Okay? I believe they're uncle and, and nephew. And, uh, yeah, I'll go. And Paul says, I'm going with him. Now, please take this right away. How many of y'all think maybe John Mark considered Paul a mentor? And he just said, I'm done with you. Amen. And in his humility, he just said, I'm not giving up. God hadn't given up on me. Uh, Barnabas poured his soul and his life into him. By the way, that's the last time you ever hear about Barnabas. Why? Because he took John Mark on for a project. Amen. But you know what? He went from panic to profitability. How do I know that? Bring John Mark. Why? He's profitable to me. Paul said that. He's profitable to me for the ministry. You say, why, why, would, why would God exalt somebody's failure? Anybody here ever failed? How many of y'all glad for John Mark now? And can I just tell you this, and I think it's important. A lot of times I, I, don't, I don't want you to fail, 
But if you do, just be honest before God. Get it right. Get back on the trip. Because you're going to meet somebody who has failed or is going to fail. And they need you to be able to look them in the eyes and say, hey, God will give you a second chance. Don't give up. Brush yourself up. Let's go. How do I know that? Because God let all that happen to John Mark. And i got to be honest with you. I think I would have been a little disturbed too. Whoa. Right? I want you to think about this too. The Apostle Paul was never the same again. Matter of fact, look at who's in this account here. Saul and Barnabas, Saul and Barnabas, Saul and Barnabas, Saul and Barnabas. Folks, after this chapter, he was known as, Saul, uh, he was known as Paul from then on. Can I tell you this? It might have been a really weird experience, but it changed Paul forever. He got into some spiritual warfare and got the victory here, and he was a changed man from this point. But, you know, instead of being changed like this, Nobody's going to take me. He, he became. See, the name Saul means the desired one. Okay? Give us a king like it to all the other nations. Woo! Look at Saul! Amen? And so he lived his whole life going, look at me! Until he came face to face with that spiritual warfare and he realized it wasn't his wisdom, it wasn't his education, it wasn't. It was a God who was more powerful than the gods of this world. And folks, from that point on, he went from being the desired one to being Paul, the little one. The little one. That's what Paul means. Okay? And so in a sense, he says, I'm no longer big in my eyes. I'm no longer the superstar. I'm just the vehicle that God can use to do great things. Small, small in his eyes. Why did God let these things happen? I, I don't know. He, he gave us John Mark. Made, made an made a overqualified, the most qualified of all the apostles, by far. Went from being to being. And aren't you glad? Amen. And then he also, if you will, gave us an early illustration of the nature of spiritual warfare. Okay. Look what the Bible says in verse 8, okay? The Bible says the reason that we're in the spiritual warfare is, is the devil wants to keep people from believing. And in verse 8, the Bible says, But Eliamus, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. How many of you all, half the time you get in some of these spiritual battles, your head's just swimming? You're just confused. What do I say? Blah, 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 right? And you got to realize the whole purpose behind anything the devil is doing, okay, is to keep people from getting saved. By the way, how's it working? Working pretty good. We got, we got such confusion in this world today. Amen. But then, notice this. Paul didn't say, well, I'll teach him and I'll train him and I'll argue him and I'll win him. No. Look what he says in verse 11. Verse 11, the Bible says this, it says, And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Uh, can I tell you what he said in paraphrase? He said, The Lord rebuke you. The Bible says that they wrestled over the body, angels wrestled over the body of, of uh, Moses. And uh, Michael, the archangel, by the way, powerful position, 
He said, he durst not bring against the devil a railing accusation, meaning, I'm going to beat you up. Get out of here, devil. I'm under. No, he, he, he said he wouldn't even dare to do that. But the Bible says he said, the Lord rebuke you. I will tell you this. That's something I've developed uh, early on in my ministry. Uh, any of y'all ever know a man named Mike Hayes? You might have known him. Did you know Mike Hayes? No? Anybody here know Mike Hayes? Mike Hayes was a, a, a Christian counselor in Oklahoma City. He was, he was a good man. And he taught me that. He, he said, don't ever, you know, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Uh, should you brag where you're going to go tomorrow? How are we supposed to say it? If the Lord wills, we'll do this or that. If the Lord wills, we'll go here or there. And we need to realize that our intellect can't win souls. Our God can save a soul. Amen? We can't remove the demons that influence our friends and our family and our neighbors. But we got a God in heaven. Amen? I'll tell you another aspect of that is not just that uh, the Lord rebuke thee, but also pray in that hedge of thorns. And you know what you're doing when you're doing that? You're doing everything you can knowing that you can do nothing. But you're asking a God who can to do it. Can God do it? Well, folks, sometimes we want to be so control of our lives that we forget that until we learn to lose control and give it to God, we're never going to get victory. Never. That's what we, we learn here is that God has a purpose in doing everything that he does in our life. Every bad thing that ever happened to you, there was a purpose for it. Every victory you've ever had, there was a purpose for it. Every place you've gone, there was a purpose for it. Amen. And so if you will, God has a plan. God has a purpose. And then last of all, man has a fear of losing his power. That was the biggest concern for Nebuchadnezzar. Go back to Daniel chapter 2, please. Daniel chapter 2, and look at um, verse 12, okay? Daniel chapter 2 and verse 12, the Bible says, For this cause the king was angry and very furious, and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. Now, I told you there's another name for magi. Excuse me, I just messed up my... (laughs) There's another name for wise man. There you go. <laughs> and it leads to the root magician, but please take this the right way. It also leads to the root for the word magistrate. Okay? And magistrates are government officials, right? And many people believe that these magis were kingmakers. That's why Herod was so concerned about them. Uh, Wade asked me this on the way out Sunday. It was a very good question. He says, Don't you suppose that the wise men, when they came with the gifts, came with an army, and I said, they absolutely did. They absolutely came with an army. Uh, Why? These are government leaders. They're not going there, you know, hat in hand. They they went with a show of power, and remember what the question was? Where is he that is born king of the Jews? See, we came to find out who the next leader is here, okay? Now, they don't want to read too much into it because we only have so much information. But, folks... Why was he going to kill all these wise men? It's very possible that Nebuchadnezzar thought they were going to kill him and replace him. Okay, Meaning what? 
uh, it's natural and normal when somebody wants to maintain power to get rid of the king. Okay? Meaning this, I'll kill you and then I can be king. You guys understand? Okay? And so if you will, that's one of the reasons that sometimes man is so busy trying to be in charge of every aspect of their life that they forget that's not... If God has a plan and God has a purpose, we're not in charge. Amen? And we need to acknowledge that God is in charge. You know, quite often it's, it's, it's common practice in, in kingdoms. It's not so much today because we live in a different world. But back then they would commit regicide. Did uh, Israel ever have a reigning queen? Yeah, her name was, uh, I'm going to say her name wrong. Well, let's just turn there because I'm going to say it wrong. So go to 2 Kings chapter 11. 2 Kings chapter 11. And look at verse 1. The Bible says, And when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, by the way, he's the king, right? So who's supposed to be the next king? Her son. So you know what she did? The Bible says she arose and destroyed all the seed royal. She killed every son but one. One was hidden from her. She didn't know about it. What was the purpose for killing off all the princes? Well, then she could be queen. Okay? And she was queen, I think, for four years. Okay? She ruled and reigned for a period of time. I think it was actually six or eight years. Six years, thank you, six years. Until that boy was old enough to put him on the throne. And then, of course, she cried, treason, treason, like treason. You just killed an entire generation of boys so you could sit on that throne. By the way, the devil always says, you treat me unfair. <laughs> what in the world? You deserve to die. Come on now, Amen. And so here's the whole point, is it's normal and natural for when people want to maintain control, they do. And they kill everything that could have an authority on them. Folks, can I tell you, that's one of the reasons churches today don't have church membership, don't have church roles. Why? Well, I don't want to be held accountable to anybody. Can I just tell you, we all need to be accountable to somebody. Uh, children, you need to be accountable to your parents. Now, we can do better than that. Children, you need to be under authority of your parents. Amen. Very good. And then as church members, including the pastor, we need to be under the authority of the church. And as citizens, we need to be under the authority of our government, even if we disagree with it. Amen. Okay? That doesn't mean you have to do anything that's against your conscience. It just means you need to be under authority. And we're living in a world today where we've killed all the kings. Why? Well, I'm going to be in charge. Okay. But you might want to think about how that works out. It didn't work out too good for Athaliah. Okay? It didn't work out too good for her. How did it work out for Herod? Why did he kill all those two-year-old boys? Come on, guys. There's only one reason. He wanted to stay being king. He killed his wife. He killed his favorite son. And he later went crazy because the dreams at night tormented him so bad because he had realized he killed a wife that he loved because he was afraid she was going to take power, killed a son that he loved because he was afraid he was going to take power. And Caesar Augustus, who appointed him to his position, said this, it's better for, it's, 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 
Herod treats his pig better than he treats his son. Why? He's a Jew. He won't eat a pig. But he killed his own sons. Why? To stay in power. How did it work out for him? He lost his mind. He lost his life. He probably lost a lot more than that. Okay. And so if you will, unconverted men forget who gave them this opportunity or this burden. Who put Nebuchadnezzar in charge? God did. And how did God remind him of that? See, one day, and you can look there if you want to, in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 30, he walked out to the porch, and he had been warned, God's going to punish you unless you get right. And he walked out to the porch one day, and he says, See, this is mighty Babylon that I have built. And the Bible says while the words were in his mouth, he was transformed into an animal. Not a literal animal, but he lost his mind, and the hair grew, and everything, his fingernails grew. Read it. Okay, he lost his mind. And seven years later, or seven times later, probably seven years later, the Bible says his mind restored to him, and the very first thing he said was, there's only one God in heaven. <laughs> and he's the one that did this. And he, he took and he worshipped the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he basically said this, I might be king, but he's in charge. And folks, can we learn something from these pagan kings? Absolutely. We need to learn, first off, God has a plan. We need to learn that God has a purpose. And we need to learn that man's greatest fear is losing his power. But can I tell you this? Once you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you cannot be that man. Because the only way to have peace of mind, joy, victory, fill in the blank of anything that's truly important to you, is to surrender, okay? Anybody know the Bible word for surrender? See ya? Prostrate's a very good, yeah, you would certainly prostrate, that's good, yeah. Romans chapter 6, if you're not sure. Yield. Yield. Folks, the word yield in our Bible, the word surrender is not in your Bible, but the word yield is, and it basically says this, if you want to take and be a part of his plan and part of his purpose and really let the right king be sitting on the throne, you just need to surrender. I got a better illustration. I didn't put this in my notes. You remember Jonathan and David? You remember what Jonathan did? He took off all his king's clothing and he put it on David, and he said, you're the king. Amen? Now, look, he could have fought for the position, but he was going to die. <laughs> Y'all understand? And we can fight to stay in control, but you're going to lose. And the best thing that we can do is take and yield our lives to our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Then let him be in charge. And we might go from being meaningless servants to an unknown minority community to being the second ranking official in the world. But folks, you can't do that. But God can. Don't forget the key to this whole verse was I did all this for these servants. Amen. Would to God we could learn that lesson. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. Help us to apply it to our lives. Help us to model.